are, are jumping on. My name, for those of us uh, who haven't met or maybe uh, are new around here, my name is Kevin. I get to be the discipleship pastor at Charles River Church. And, uh, and nobody is more disappointed about the rain than I am because, once again, I am not talking to your lovely faces, but I'm trusting that you guys are, are still there. But part of what it means to be discipleship pastor here is that I oversee our connection groups, I oversee uh, our reach teams, I oversee really any opportunity that you want to, to take one more step into the life of the church. I'm your guy, so please get in touch. Fill out a connection card if you're interested in a connection group, if you're interested in serving on a reach team, uh, or you just have a question or, or are interested in more about the church. Fill out a connection card, would you please, and let us know. Uh, I'm really excited to get into the, the scripture for this morning, but before we do that, this is the last uh, Sunday that most of our college students are going to be around, and, uh, and college students, for those of you who are graduating, we do have a gift for you. Fill out a connection card. Let me know the best address to send that to you, uh, because we do have a gift for you. Our college students, we have uh, at Curry, CC is graduating. We're going to miss you, CC. Uh, and uh, at Bentley, we have a couple of, uh, of students. We have one, Chris Wong, who just helped us lead us. And uh, he's going to be graduating, and as well as uh, Steven Dito. Uh, he'll actually be able to, to stick around for a while. And Leah, uh, we love you guys. We are so grateful for the opportunity to have walked alongside of you for a number of years. And uh, we're really going to miss you. And for the rest of you college students who are coming back in the fall, we're here. We're waiting for you, and we're not going to let you. Uh, we're not going to let you get away this summer. We'll be in. We'll be in touch. Uh, but before we get into the word. Uh, I would hate to I would hate to try and do this in my own strength. So um, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be reminded, to be encouraged, to be uh, exhorted by your word and God. Wherever people are sitting on the couch, running on the treadmill. Uh, Wherever people are watching this, God, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would take the words that you have preserved for us and that you would speak and that you would make us ready, willing, and excited to listen. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are um, we're continuing in the, uh, in the sermon series, Questions. Uh, we started last week, and, and questions that Jesus asked that we must answer. Uh, questions that Jesus asked that we must answer. We chose that, that phrasing very carefully because these aren't questions that you can, uh, you know, be partial towards. These are questions that you must answer, and, and you say, well, I, you know, I know a lot of people who haven't answered the question, or I'm not ready to answer the question, really. Uh, by not answering the question, you're kind of answering the question. And so the questions that Jesus asked that we must answer. And Pastor Josh kicked us off last week with maybe the most important question in the history of the world, where Jesus turns to his disciples, and through them he turns to us in his word, and he says, who, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not, not that, you know, that, that, that question that, uh, you know, we, we hear all too often. Do you know who I am? But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because Jesus is, he's a, he's a figure that you have to do something with, right? Pastor Josh walked us through. Every worldview does something with Jesus, and, and it really just comes down into four buckets. You can say that he was either a liar, 
that he wasn't the son of God and he knew he wasn't the son of God, but for some kind of gain, uh, he was saying that he was the son of God. Now, you think about it, it didn't work out all that great for him because he ended up alone and naked on a Roman cross at the end of it. So he could have been a liar. The second one, he could have been a lunatic. Like he could have actually believed that he was the son of God. But you know what we do with people who think that they are the son of God? They end up wearing soft clothes in a soft room, eating soft food. He could have been a lunatic. Uh, he could have been a legend. Now, this is one that was much more popular 100, 200 years ago, where maybe, uh, maybe somebody named Jesus of, came from Nazareth, but, but all of these uh, stories about him uh, were, were just taken from other stories and just kind of put on him. That was, that was, a, that was really popular 200, 100 years ago. Uh, but with the amount of historical uh, data that has come out, the amount of archaeological data that's come out, uh, that's almost an untenable position at this point. Um, so I guess he could have been a legend if you want to believe yourself 2,000 years after the fact and not the people who were there with him. Um, okay. Or, or he's the Lord. Or he is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he was going to do. And he is right now who he says he is. He is Lord. Now, I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor, so I guess you know where I fall on that spectrum. He is, he is Lord. And guys, that's good. That's really good news. That's not just good news. That's really good news. Jesus is Lord. The author of the story wrote himself into the story. He stepped into the story to rescue us. Such good news. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is Lord isn't the end. You don't say, all right, Jesus is Lord, that's good. No, that's the beginning. That's just the starting point. Jesus is Lord. There are, there are ramifications for saying that Jesus is Lord. You can't just go back to life as you knew it once you say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord means something. You commit to following him. Everything changes. Not just something's changed. Everything changes. It's as if... It's as if you wake up every single morning and you put on a pair of Jesus glasses that you view the world through. You view the world through the lens of Jesus is Lord. And, and you, 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 know, you wake up in the morning and you put those glasses on. Jesus colored lenses. See, the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, uh, he wrote these words. He said, to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought, take every thought captive. This means that we can't be passive consumers of information. It means that as information comes in, we are consistently and constantly working to chew the fat and spit out the bone. Where does this line up with God's word? Where does this line up with what is true and noble and beautiful? And what of this is actually trying to rob me of joy by taking me further away from Jesus? This changes the way that we watch movies. Right? We don't just become passive consumers of the media. It changes the way that we watch movies. What is, the, what is the director, what is the writer of this movie trying to convey to me? What is the writer of this movie, what is the director, what is the story that they're trying to tell me? And where does that story line up with God's word? And where does that story maybe veer off the path? It changes the way that we listen to music. It changes the way that you interact with your neighbors. It changes the way that we use the internet. It changes everything. We're constantly constantly viewing the world with Jesus colored glasses on taking every thought captive to obey Christ and this means that Christians guys we can't be lazy thinkers we can't just be passive 
and expect to grow closer to Jesus. We need to have our minds constantly and consistently renewed. And that brings us to our text this morning. On the heels of, who do you say that I am? Once you land on Jesus as Lord, it changes everything and there are consequences. So Luke chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 46. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, it says, Jesus speaking, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So there's our question for this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a man who's building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus asking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? See, calling Jesus Lord and then not submitting to him is an oxymoron. That's an oxymoron. You can't say, Jesus, I, I surrender. I surrender all. You are the Lord of my life. And then go and live as if you are the Lord of your own life. You can't say, Jesus, you call the shots on my life. And then go call the shots on your own life. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to see eye to eye with Jesus all the time. In fact, if you do, you might want to question whether or not you're actually reading him and letting him inform your mind. It means that it doesn't mean that you're not going to argue with him. But it means that at the moment you submit to him, you're saying, every time I argue with you, I already know who's going to win. I already know who's going to win that argument. Because Jesus is so patient and long-suffering and kind. And he will let you throw your temper tantrum. He will let you throw your pity party. He, he's very gracious with that. But, word of warning. When you argue with Jesus, be careful who wins that argument. Because whoever wins that argument, that is your Lord. Either Jesus or you. You say, Jesus is Lord. You lay down your rights. And you say, I, I'm picking up my cross and I am following you. I don't understand you all the time. I don't, but you are Lord. You're the author of the story who has stepped in to show me the way to go. You're the savior of my soul. Even when things are confusing, even when I don't understand why you've said something, I want to. I want to follow you. But you can't just pay him lip service and say, yes, Lord, and then go and do whatever you want. You can't fool him. He's God. Consider it in terms of like an employer-employee relationship. So let's say you, 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 know, you work in finance and your boss comes up to you and says, listen, we have this uh, investment opportunity and it could be really big for us. Now, uh, I need a report due in two weeks. All the research, like, get it done, get it on my desk, two weeks. And you turn to your boss and you say, yes, absolutely, on it. 
100%. And as soon as the boss walks away, it's like, well, I got two weeks. Looks like I'm taking a long lunch today. Oh, I got two weeks. It's back to your, your news feed, back to you know, the, the social media, back to YouTube. You, you start clocking out a little bit early and clocking in a little bit late, taking those extended lunch breaks. But every couple of days, the boss comes by and he says, how is that report coming? Oh, you're gonna love it. Oh, it's gonna be great. You're paying them lip service. But at the end of that two weeks, it's put up or shut up. And if you've got nothing to show for it, then the truth comes out. I'll tell you what you want to hear, but you can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Actually, kind of is. Now imagine that scenario, but, but let's up the ante a little bit. Let's imagine it in like an emergency room setting. Now I've only been to the emergency room a couple times, uh, and all of those times I wasn't really focused on how the emergency room was being run. Uh, I had broken an arm, or I had been run over by a go-kart, or some, some reason that you need to go to the emergency room. Couldn't care less about how, just make me better. Uh, but, and so I don't know how an emergency room runs, but I get to imagine that there is somebody there who's essentially the general, right? Every organization needs that one individual that calls the, you know, has final, final say. And so uh, imagine you're in that emergency room separate, uh, situation and, and you're a doctor or a nurse or, or, or something, and, uh, and that person who calls the shots comes over and says, hey, we just got a patient in, uh, ruptured kidney, and if you don't get into that operation right away, uh, this is gonna get really bad. Oh, absolutely, on it, absolutely, on my way. And, and you walk straight out the door because you have a tea time and nobody's gonna stop you from getting to that tea time. Now, when it's, when it's a financial thing, it's one thing, now we're dealing with people's lives. Now we're dealing with, with souls and we're dealing, and this becomes a legal issue as well. It's anti, let's up the ante even more. We'll up the ante even more, what if, the God of the universe took on human flesh and walked among us and said, here's how you live. Here's how I made it. Live this way in order to increase human flourishing in a way that has never been seen before. This is how I designed it. The greatest amount of human flourishing possible. And you say, yes, Lord. And walk away. Do whatever you want to do. See, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Culture knows that. The world is looking on. Talk is cheap. And lip service is really dangerous. Just paying lip service is really dangerous. Just saying what you want people to hear is really, really dangerous. And in this passage, Jesus is graciously and lovingly calling us out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So you can't, Jesus is saying, you can't be called by my name. You're known as Christians. You can't be called by my name and then just continue to live unto yourself, continue to live as if I make no difference to you, to continue to live as if the kingdom of God means nothing. You can't be con con called by my name and continue to live in ignorance of what I've said. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of the name of Jesus being blasphemed among the nations because of foolishness committed in his name, because of wickedness committed in his name. I think it's time, I think that God is, is lining things up for us so that we can actually live as though Jesus means something, as if, as if we trust him 
enough to take him at his word. I'll tell you a story. When I was in high school, I bought my first vehicle. It was a 1988 Chevy S10 pickup truck, and I loved it. It was, it was gray, it wasn't amazing. Uh, <laughs> ask Pam, she'll tell you the truth. But like, the roof was kind of falling in, the, 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 the phone, or the, uh, the whatever it is on the roof, I had to staple that back up, and that, there was one speaker that worked, and for those of you who, who remember, I would have my Discman, with a special adapter that had a cassette tape on the other end. I could put that in the, in the play deck and then just listen to my music as loud as I could out of one speaker over here. It was awesome. I bought it for $700 cash off my friend. And it lasted seven months. Uh, so $100 a month for a car payment isn't, isn't terrible. Uh, but while I had that truck, uh, it got a crack in the windshield. And so I had to go um, for the first time in my life. I'm 17 years old. And in my hometown, in a town called Pembroke, uh, Massachusetts be here, between here and, and Cape Cod. Uh, there was a, a, a shop, I don't know if it's still there anymore, it's called Tiny and Sons Autoglass. I would drive past it all the time. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna go see Tiny. And so I pull in to Tiny and Sons, I get out of my truck and I walk through the door and there behind the, I like laughed. I was like, okay, you must be Tiny because behind the desk is this man, this mountain of a man. And he's like, yes, I'm Tiny. And he comes, shakes my hand and my hand looks like a doll's hand inside of his. And it's like, Okay, so Tiny, so we do that. We, we give ironic nicknames, right? We have Tiny for somebody like that. We have like, uh, you call a bald guy Curly. You call somebody like myself Einstein. Uh, we have ironic nicknames, but Jesus is not that. When you call Jesus Lord, you are not calling him by an ironic nickname. You're calling him Lord. He's the ruler of your life. He's the ruler of the world. But how often do we treat it like it's an ironic nickname. But here's, here's a really important question. Two, two really important questions. One, what does Jesus command? Like if we're gonna follow him, if we're going to, if, if he expects us to, to obey him, what does he command? And two, why? Why is he commanded? Well, this is what he wants his church to look like because this is what creates human flourishing. This is how he designed the world. But how does, he, how does he want us to live? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything falls into that bucket. This is how I want you to live. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. See, this passage, Luke 6, comes on the heels of a long extended passage of Jesus saying some really hard things, some really countercultural things. And then at the end of it, he wraps it up by saying, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I say. Go and make disciples. Be holy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Beware of false prophets. Guys, just because somebody is speaking in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that he's speaking or she's speaking in the name of Jesus. Just because it says it's a Christian television program doesn't mean that it's representing Jesus accurately. Just because it's a meme doesn't mean it's representing Jesus accurately. Know the word of God. Beware of false prophets. 
do not fear. See, in saying do not fear, what he's saying is, don't you trust me? Don't you trust, like I'm, I, I know the beginning from the ending. Don't you trust me? Don't be anxious. Same thing, I am in control and you are mine. Can't you trust me? He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your rights and follow me. John 15, he says, this is my command. Explicit. This is my command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you shall love one another. Is that the reputation of Christ's church right now in the West? Why? I think probably because for a long time, it's been really easy to pay lip service to Jesus and to, to call yourself a Christian and to make, have that make very little impact, to really not have to draw near to him for your strength, to really not have to draw near to him to navigate the world because the world was set up so that you could walk through it fairly easily. But that is going away fast and we can praise God for that in a strange way. But let me, this is really important. I want to pause right here because everything I've said so far, uh, I believe with my whole heart. Take, take, take me to, to the book, but I believe everything that I've said so far with all my heart, but it's not the good news. Everything I've said so far is you do. You do this. Do this. Follow Jesus. Pick up your cross. Love people. Love your enemy. Pray for people. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do you feel that weight? Do you feel that weight? It's like you're wearing a backpack and I keep putting boulders in it. Why aren't you better? Why aren't you holy? Why aren't you righteous? Everything I've said so far is you do. You do. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news of Jesus is not you do. It's he did. He did. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you do that perfectly all the time? You do not. Jesus did. Do you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you perfectly all the time? You do not. Jesus did. Are you holy, perfectly righteous all the time? You are not. Jesus is. Do you do good to those who hate you? You do not. Jesus did. Do you make disciples perfectly? You do not. Jesus did. Do you believe in God perfectly? You do not. Jesus does. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't. He did. Beware of false prophets. You don't. He does. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. We can't do these things. That's why we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why this is good news. Jesus did it. Now here's a really important uh, text. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. This is a good one to commit to memory. 1 Peter 3, 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ suffered once, once, once and done for sins. The righteous, he, his righteousness for the unrighteous, you and me, he suffered on, in our place for us. 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Our unrighteousness transferred to him and punished, and his righteousness transferred to us and delighted in, set free. Glorious grace. God sent Christ to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's the good news. That's what the church can be known for. Praise God and hallelujah. But that does not negate in the slightest what Jesus is saying here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I command? But if there's nothing for us to do, if he's already done it for us, then why even, why, why, why do we have to obey? Why not, why not sin so that grace may abound all the more? Well, I think the key is in the story that Jesus tells after the command. So he doesn't just give you a command and let it sit there. He gives you a command and then he tells you a story so that you can, uh, you know, meditate on it, dwell on it, think about it. Why is he saying this? So again, Luke chapter 6 Starting in verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Is your foundation on Christ. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. See, like a father instructing his, his kids how to live wisely in the world. Like a father instructing his kids to grow up so that they can live and thrive no matter what circumstance comes at them. Jesus is graciously instructing us how to live wisely and prudently. Like a dad teaching his kid not to chase the ball out into the street, Jesus is saying, obey my commands. Like a dad teaching his kid not to touch that hot stove, Jesus is graciously telling us, obey my commands. Like a dad who's teaching his kid how to mix the perfect pancake batter, Jesus is saying, obey my commands. Like a dad teaching his kid to throw the perfect two-seam fastball, Jesus is saying, obey my commands because I love you. See, Jesus is, is saying this. He teaches us how to live wisely and prudently in the world that he has given to us as a gift. And, and the secret to, to living wisely and prudently in the world that he has given to us as, as a gift is not a secret. It's knowing God. Knowing God in an ever-increasing way. Knowing God. So your obedience to Christ will not save you, will not get you to heaven. Your obedience to Christ will not get you to heaven. Jesus' obedience on your behalf and your faith in that is what does that. But, hear me, your obedience to Christ might be the thing that God uses to bring somebody else along with you. 
your obedience to Christ might be the tool that God chooses to use in order to bring somebody else into that knowledge of that freedom, of that grace that Christ afforded us. I'll wrap up with an illustration. I want to get my numbers right here. Uh, the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, it's the second tallest tower on the West Coast. Uh, it was just finished a couple years ago. Um, it's 1,070 feet tall. So it's the 17th tallest building in the United States. Again, the second tallest on the West Coast. Um, by way of comparison, the Hancock here in Boston is the biggest tower in New England, and that's almost, uh, almost 800 feet. That's nine, uh, 790 feet tall. Um, but, uh, again, by, by way of comparison, the Empire State Building in, in New York, uh, at the time of its completion back in the 30s, was the tallest man-made structure that had ever existed on Earth. It is still currently the ninth tallest building in America. And so uh, the Salesforce is 1,070 feet. Empire State Building is 1,250 feet tall. Uh, huge building, huge building. Um, so almost 200 feet taller than the Salesforce building. But here's an interesting stat that I found. The foundation, listen to this, this one. The foundation for the Empire State Building is 55 feet deep. You gotta go down 55 feet in order to go up 1,250 feet. That's wild. It's amazing. And it, the architects did their math right because it's been standing for almost 100 years and it's, it's I mean, Looks like it's doing pretty well. 55 feet deep to go up 1,250 feet. Now, again, the Salesforce building, almost 200 feet shorter in San Francisco. The foundation for that building is 310 feet deep. To go 200 feet less, why? Why is the foundation for a a smaller building, almost six times deeper. Some of you might have guessed, San Francisco has to deal with things that New York doesn't, namely fault lines. San Francisco has earthquakes, so their foundation has to be much deeper. Why, why is the second tallest building on the West Coast only the 17th tallest building in the United States? They can't build this high. And when they do, they gotta go much, much deeper. See, it's easier and it's safer to go higher on the East Coast where we don't have to deal with earthquakes than it is on the West Coast. The foundation, Jesus says, the wise person, the one who listens to my words and obeys them, his foundation is on me. He digs deep to find me. He digs deep so that when that storm comes, when that earthquake comes, unshakable. Unshakable. Because it's not based on you, it's based on your foundation. If Jesus is the rock, try and shake Jesus. I dare you. He'll win every time. But let me say this as lovingly and as winsomely as I know how. Here in New England, here in Boston, guys, we need a deeper foundation than our brothers and sisters do in the South or in the Midwest where maybe it's a little bit easier or socially beneficial to, to follow Jesus. 
we need a deeper foundation because the earthquake is, it, the, 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 the ground is not quite as steady here. So just like the sales force needs a deeper foundation because of earthquakes, guys, we, brothers and sisters, we need a deeper foundation into Christ. We need to be taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And Jesus says, obey what I command or else you're going to get swept away. We need to be growing in our understanding of who he is through reading and meditating and memorizing his word consistently, speaking it over one another, praying it and singing it and, and, and encouraging one another with it, studying it and teaching it. We need to be growing in our obedience to Christ through community, through connecting with one another by, by having a really hard day and knowing who I can go to for prayer, knowing who I can go to that's going to have just the right word for me from his word. And growing in our love for others through serving. We need a much deeper foundation here. Put on those Jesus-colored glasses every single morning. Take every thought captive. Renew our minds every day. But if you are not willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, if you're not willing to dig down deeper into the foundation to find that rock so that you're not shaking, if you're not willing to train up your children to do that, as as for the good of your soul, move. Move somewhere it's easier to be a Christian. And I say that because I love you and I don't want to watch you get swept away. But if you are willing to be a part of the kingdom of God, breaking into the darkness, seeing sinners set free with the good news of Jesus Christ, if you have tasted and seen that God is good, if you believe that God does some of his best work in the middle of opposition, in the middle of difficulty, if you believe that to live is Christ and death is gain, and if you believe that your days are short and every day is a gift for you to know God more intimately and to bring others with you, if you believe that God has disciples for you to make at Charles River Church, then let's go. Guys, let's go. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I command you? Jesus is saying, I love you. And I want what's best for you. And I don't want you to get washed away by that tidal flood. And I don't want you to get shaken all the time, but I do want you to make disciples and to know the joy of seeing people come to trust Christ. But don't, don't do it in your own strength. All Jesus is saying is know me. Know me. Follow me. Walk with me. And you'll be surprised as to what he can do through you if you just Lay that yes down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Charles River Church. Thank you for trusting us uh, and empowering us. God, your people, your church here in the city of Boston, for 
what you've been doing over the past decade in seeing church after church after church planted and multiplied and, 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 and just person after person after person finding faith and trust and hope and new life in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for, for allowing us to participate in what you're doing here. God, we believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain, but so often we fall so short of believing that. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that when we do wander off like sheep, thank you that when we do stay without, without considering you, without thinking, without when we forget all about you, God, thank you that you don't forget about us and that you will consistently and constantly urge us and call us out into bigger and better to know you more deeply, more intimately, and to know you is to love you. God, thank you for opening our eyes. Pray for each person hearing my words right now. Holy Spirit, convict sweetly where it needs to be convicted. Comfort where it needs to be comforted. Heal what needs to be healed. Restore what has been broken. And stir up our affection and love for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.